Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Monday, March 9th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 357 with Yahoo Sports NBA writer Keith Smith is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% bonus on your next deposit. Well, four straight losses at home for the first time since 2015. Losses in four of five overall. Double-digit leads in all those games Boston Blue against Oklahoma City, Utah, Brooklyn, and Houston, and in many cases, leads of 17, 18, even 21 points. It's been frustrating. Another new edition of Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman here with you, and thank you for tuning in. Thanks also for uh, just joining us while things are getting a little hairy right now. I wish I had better news, but closing games has become a real problem for this Celtics team with 19 games left in the regular season and flailing hopes at landing the second seed in the Eastern Conference. Now a three-game deficit behind those Raptors. Now, to be fair, Jalen Brown, he's out with a hamstring injury. Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, they've missed some time. Kemba Walker as well. He's still clearly not right. So the C's far from being 100% overall. But these are still games that you need to win when you jump out to those huge leads like I talked about. Marcus Smart, his foul on Karis LeVert at the end of regulation. The Nets lost just inexcusable and then the thunder game most recently last night and i was in the building for this just given away when kemba allowed dennis schroeder to take that ball just strip it away delivers the go-ahead layup and walker all he had to do all he had to do was hold the ball and wait to be fouled that's it so a pair of just really really immensely frustrating losses and Well, let's hear from Brad Stevens, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, and Gordon Hayward, all trying to cheer us up just a little bit. You can feel like you're on top of the world one week, and you can feel like the sky is falling the next, and that's the hardest part about the NBA. That's just the way it goes. You know, we're in a way right now where we just don't sustain it the way that we know we can. It's on us. I don't know what's going on out there. It's like we let other teams' pressure take us out of the game. When that happens, this is the outcome. You know, we got to fix that. We got to be aggressive. We got to punch first. And then if we get punched, we got to keep punching back. We obviously have stuff to work on. I think that's how the NBA works. You know, you go through these runs and stretches where you're feeling really good about yourself. And then it's like the world's coming to an end, too. So I think as a, as individuals, as a team, we got to try to not get too high on the highs or too lows on the lows. And this is a low for us. We got to try to build ourselves, call ourselves back out of it. I think we'll find it again. We're still the same team. You know, we just got to lift each other up, find ways to, to win basketball games again. Yeah stay together you know it's definitely been some some very tough losses but we gotta try our best to hold our heads high stuff like this happens you know losses come you can learn from them you can choose to you know get better or go the other way or you know, everybody just go to the individual corners but what we're gonna do we're gonna get better this is the part about the nba that is hard it's also fun to look back on when you kind of overcome it 
Here's a crazy thing. That smart cut that you heard amidst all the others, all of those, with the exception of Marcus, were after the Thunder game. Marcus, that was a few days ago. It's just, it speaks to what an annoying trend this has been for this team. So, as I welcome in Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports, NBC Sports, Celtics blog, he's all over the place, pretty much wherever you like to read about the NBA. Keith, what the heck, man? I mean, why has closing become such a problem these last couple weeks when it otherwise really hadn't been much of the year? Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that's mystifying. And, and I want to kind of tend to say I, I lean more towards the Brad Stevens thoughts that he led uh, led your audio clips with of that's what happens in the NBA. Sometimes you look great, sometimes you don't. And, and you know, but closing games, this, this shouldn't be a thing. He, Jason Tatum, he maybe he isn't ready for that yet. You know, he, he's been really great, you know, fantastic uh, season, became an all-star, player of the month in February, all those things. But maybe he's not quite ready. Kemba Walker, he didn't look so good last night. He's obviously still dealing with, with getting back. But you would think between those two, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown when he's healthy, you ought to be able to find at least one of those guys to throw the ball to each night and say, take us home. And it really just hasn't happened in recent, really, we're talking about a week or so now. It just hasn't come down to it. And that Cavs game, that was just more of a, almost kind of in some ways felt like time just sort of ran out on Cleveland, or maybe they might have been putting the Celtics on a five-game losing streak here. Do you put the problems more on the offense or the defense? Because, I mean, you could very easily point to either side during this little rut. Yeah, I think it's it's the defense starting then leading to the offense. I think they key so much of their offensive production off of getting good defensive plays. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen in these handful of games is you have now multiple players from these teams that have just kind of beat the Celtics almost single-handedly, I guess is the easiest way I can put it. Karis LeVert went crazy and went off. Russell Westbrook, uh, Colin Sexton, the game Boston won, but he went up. Mike Connolly, and then Chris Paul last night. Chris Paul in yesterday's game, uh, Sunday, got to wherever he wanted on the floor. Now he's Chris Paul, but you would think the Celtics should be able to control that a little bit. That was, you know, that's what was disappointing. And then when they can't get those stops, I think they put more pressure on themselves. They have to get a score every time down. I think that's when you start to see guys come maybe a little bit out of the good ball movement, player movement offense. They see guys are trying to do it a little bit too much themselves, and that's where it all breaks down for them. So I think it's problems defensively then lead to problems offensively. Maybe the answer is what we just discussed, but because, of course, you do the popular takeaway columns for Celtics blog after each and every game, and, you know, it's it's always more fun when they're positive takeaways than negative, although we, we were talking a little bit off air about the fan base, and, and I think it's it's sort of the nature of fans, you know, it's in any market, by the way, not just Celtics fans or anything, but it's it's more typical it's it's part of the human essence as a sports fan to complain when things are bad than to celebrate when things are good so you tend to get more reaction out of the negatives so in the spirit of a negative what is the c's biggest flaw right now as a team and you can't say lack of health obviously (laughs) oh man you took the easy one right off the table there um no i i think it's boy i'm gonna kind of I'm going to cheat a little bit here because I think it's somewhat created from the lack of health, but it's okay. not the lack of health. It's, it's, I don't think they really know who they are late in games. I think because you haven't had enough time with those five kind of key guys, Tatum, Hayward, Smart, Walker, and Brown, 
on the court together late in those games. I think that they they just there there's still that little bit of uncertainty to all right, should we defer to Kemba because he's the vet who has done this a million times, or do we let the kids who are obviously the future of this thing lead us? Well, Hayward's actually in there tonight. And he's got it going. Maybe he should be the guy. And then we all know Marcus Smart's never going to shy away from taking a big shot late in the game himself or trying to make something happen. And I think that's, to me, the biggest problem that has emerged really since that pretty good West Coast trip has been these guys are late in the games. There's just too much trying to do it by themselves and not enough sticking together as a team. Tatum really has been terrific this year. We know that. We celebrate him almost week to week on this show, reigning East player in the month, all of that. But I can't help but wonder, do you see the offense becoming a bit too Tatum-centric? You know, too ISO, too predictable, too kind of Paul Pierce-like. And that, that can sound like a dig, certainly in the way that I'm presenting it. But, you know, I, I think the the flow, the fact that any guy can step up, any guy can take the last shot, that element of the offense throughout so much of this year was a lot more of a positive to me than the end of games now where you just sort of feel like fourth quarter, you need some buckets, Tatum's going to get the ball. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. And it goes back to what I said before. I don't know that he's ready to be that guy who get it to me. We're going to play through me, you know, 15, 20 straight possessions in a row in the fourth quarter and we'll make things happen because he's still, while he is a much, much improved passer and playmaker for others, he's still a scorer. That's what his mindset is. That's, you know, where he's at in this stage of his career. So, so if he's getting the ball, more likely than not, the shot's going to go up. Now, positive development, we've seen him start to read those doubles and traps, and he's making the right reads and in the passes. as That's all new for him. That's not something he's faced. But I think what, what almost happened is I think some of the injuries have caused – there's a lot of times when I know I notice this. It's kind of Tatum and four reserves or Tatum – smart and three reserves out there together at a time. And I think that has led to, all right, I'm taking over. I'm going to be the one who has to score the points here. And that's fine in those situations. But then when Hayward, Walker, Brown are back out there with them, it's now it's tough to shut that off because now it's going to be, all right, I'm, now I got it going. I'm going to go. And 22 shots last night, that's not the end of the world. He, you know, we want to see him get shots up against a team like OKC. 22 shots is fine. But there was a point in a couple points in the game where it was, uh, this is a little bit of a force. And, and the last thing I want to add with that is, I think he needs to go get to the same place. And I think we'll see this next season where Jalen Brown has made huge leaps. Part of why he's become such a good, consistent scorer is he's really tightened up his handle. So now you you have trouble with Brown of kind of he's not loose with the ball. He's getting to where he wants to be. When Tatum is able to tighten up his handle, that's going to make everything easier, whether that's to get himself where he wants to be for shots or get himself into positions to find his teammates a little easier. Right now, it's not that he's an easy cover, but when you put a guy like Chris Paul on him, he can't just take him off the dribble because Paul's going to strip it away from him, knock it away, make it tough on him. And I think that's probably the single biggest thing he needs to clean up in his offensive game. A guy that I, quite frankly, I really wasn't, thinking about talking to you about this show as I was starting to kind of put together my notes and thoughts and talking with my producer, Evan Valenti, and all that. And then some people started tweeting me about this individual, and it was, okay, all right, let's 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 examine this a little bit because 
We usually don't when this team is doing well versus when it's doing poorly. It's not an X-factor type of guy, at least initially in your mind. And I'm talking about Ennis Cantor because he has served a role off the bench this year. I think more often than not, he's filled it pretty well. And he's certainly a fan favorite just because he's such a likable guy and he's got his podcast out there and all that. But the last month, his last 11 games, he's been terrible. 13 minutes per 3.7 points, 5.5 rebounds. He's only shooting 39% prior, okay, prior to the last 11 games, all the way through the first, I don't know, 39 games, I think it is. He's averaged 10 points, 8.5 boards. He's shot 60%, and purely, clearly, we're talking about offense, never mind the deficiencies in his defensive game. But are we talking enough about Cantor and and the lack of efficiency over the last month? Uh, yeah, probably not. I, I think there is definitely some connection there to these recent struggles. Now, a couple of those games, for example, the Houston Rockets, I know he played big in the one game against Houston and really did some good stuff. But then that second game, that by that point, Houston was, we're, we're not playing anybody big. We're playing five out. That's just not the game for Cantor. It's not. He's, it's going to go poorly if you try to play him more than a couple of minutes. There's just no one for him to guard. But then in these other games, Brooklyn, Utah, uh, Oklahoma City, he's had a, a, a guide to guard. And what I'll say is we, we criticize Brad Stevens a lot for not pulling the trigger fast enough. He tends to like to let his guys play through it. He tends to stick mm-hmm. with his guys. And he has pulled the trigger very quickly on getting Cantor out of those games. Utah killed them off the pick and roll. Uh, and Cantor played, I want to say it was only about maybe eight or nine minutes in that game. And then maybe it wasn't even that. It might have only been five. And then last night he only played six minutes because OKC went right back to it, whether he was guarding Steven Adams or Nerlens Noel. They went right to it, and he only played just under six minutes in, in uh, yesterday's game uh, on Sunday. So that is the challenge, I think, for, for Cantor is you're going to have to – either commit to building your defense around them. And I think that's where missing a couple guys has hurt because you don't have that defensive connectivity around him to kind of mask what he can and can't do. When you're mixing and matching in all these other guys, he becomes exposed just that much more. But this is a worry now because you're counting on him to give you minutes in the playoffs, give you 10 to 15 minutes, good, solid basketball where he rebounds and scores inside behind Daniel Tice. Because otherwise, Tice is he's either going to follow or he's going to wear down. Hmm. I mean, that's just the reality of, of him as a player. We know this. And that's the worry because now you're leaning on Robert Williams. I, we all love his potential and what he can do. But you know, second-year guy who's had kind of two lost-ish seasons a little bit. And, yeah due to injuries, you know, are you going to comfortable playing him 20 minutes a night in a playoff game? I don't know. We'll see. So that, I think that's the worry. So I, it's, it's really hard because I want to give Stevens credit for pulling the trigger quickly on saying get, get Cantor out of there, you know, when it's not working. But on the flip side, you got to figure this out. Otherwise, that's just a, it really becomes a wasted roster spot. Let's go back to Kemba Walker. We've mentioned him a few times already, and you know, clearly at the end of that Thunder game yesterday, the the goat, and not in the Tom Brady sort of way. And you know, everyone is fixated on that turnover, the giveaway, and and much of the reason they it's not his fault they wound up in that position. You know, you don't blow an eighteen point lead, especially against a team at home uh, that's you know missing its best star, biggest you know leading scorer on the other side in SGA. But still. Didn't come up big. Wasn't an all-star caliber play. We're not even talking about the big turnover in the the final seconds of that Nets game in regulation because we're so 
you know, preoccupied by the Marcus Smart foul that never should have happened. So he has had trouble now in two out of the last three games late when you're looking for him to just basically dribble out the clock. And it's, you know, these last few games, you really can go back a month, but in particular these last few games, he's only averaging 16 points, 32% shooting, 25% from three, 9.3 attempts, by the way, from beyond the arc, and he's shooting that poorly, few turnovers per, and again, it is just a few games, but he's not right health-wise. This is not the first time that I've had a stretch like this in my career where I haven't been playing so well, but I'll be better. I'm not worried about the minutes restriction thing. It's starting to get lifted. He played 30 today. That was about what we had set out for him today. So um, Kimba's one of our one of our best players. Um, we need him to have a chance to do anything significant, and we all know it. And so we, you know, whatever it takes to. For us all to be at our best when our best is needed, we need to be at our best when our best is needed. We need to. He's in a critical piece, obviously. So as we hear from Kemba and, of course, Brad Stevens, any cause for concern, Keith, or is this just a rut? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, what um, I, he's absolutely right. Kemba's always been this guy. Now he was kind of out of sight, out of mind for so long in Charlotte, where you know by the time we hit this point in the season no one really cared what he was doing because past the all-star break and they just weren't relevant but this has always been the case with him he's he's goes through these cold stretches he's a little bit of a streaky guy but what worries me is i want to say since he's gotten back he's been blocked four or five times on layups mm. he is not shooting well in and around the rim he's a small guy who really relies on his quickness and explosiveness to get up and finish inside the paint and that was probably the uh thing i think that more fans said to me was i didn't realize how good he was getting to the basket um earlier in the season so i'm worried that that's where the knee is impacting him and as you said he's getting up a lot more three-pointers which tells me one and fine he's a good shooter we want him taking those jump shots if you're the Celtics fan but your challenge becomes is is it too many and is it that's what's going up because that's all he can get because he doesn't have the quickness and explosiveness to get past guys and even if he can get past them he can't get up to finish in and around the basket area and that that's a problem that's going to be be something to really watch because if Kemba turns into a a spot-up shooter or a pull-up jump shooter and those kind of things, you're going to have to make an awful lot of those, and then he becomes just a much, much easier guy to guard. And that's that's not the way the Celtics' offense was built to function. They were built with him you know, kind of getting downhill and being on the attack. There are a lot of different times this season that I've uh, I've really marveled, quite frankly, at how well the Celts play down a man, frankly, more often than not. But And I say this while acknowledging the health issues that we've, you know, already spent a little bit of time on, but can this team win a playoff series without one of its top five players? And I guess I'm not as focused on the first round so much as the second round. Can it do any damage in the playoffs if, say, you know, a Kemba Walker's out for a series or Jalen's out for a series or Tatum is out for a series or Hayward's out for a series? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I think it depends on who they're playing. If they're playing Indiana or if they can somehow get up into that two seed still, they, they're now three games behind Toronto. So that's starting to look a little like bleak. that's probably not <laughs> going to be how it goes. Yeah, yeah, bleak is a good way to put it. Um, but if they could get up there and it's Brooklyn or Orlando, sure, they can get by one of those teams. But if you're in the three seed and you're playing Philadelphia, and this and I'm assuming Philadelphia is back to, to full health, that's that's a huge challenge. If you're in the four seed and you're having to play Philly or Miami or whoever in that mix, that's gonna get tough. But but you're you're 
you're hopeful you can still get through through a first round series just by where they they should be seated. It's going to be in that second round, Milwaukee, Toronto. You're not going to be either one of those guys unless you have everybody healthy and all four of those uh, main kind of offensive guys are all healthy and playing well. Because you can't really even get you're not going to get through those if one of those guys kind of pulls a no show and goes missing either. Well, because you brought it up, if the Sixers are the sixth seed, the Celts finish as the third seed. Do you see that as a problem for Boston? I don't. Again, if they're if, if let's say both sides come in healthy, I don't. I think the Celtics can beat them. I think uh, I go back to before the season. I asked uh, an opposing coach. I said, "Hey, how's Boston going to defend Philly? They're they're going to have to play them four times in the regular season. At some point, you assume they're going to have to go through each other in the playoffs." And, you know, and he walked through a few things that they could do. But what he left me with, which has stuck with me, and it's proven to be true when they have played each other, is he said, Philadelphia has to guard them too. And how are they going to guard the Celtics? Now, that was when Al Horford was definitely going to be in the starting five. And who knows what that will look like by the time we get to a potential playoff series. But Horford, that means he's going to defend one of Tatum, Hayward, or Brown. That's, that's I mean, nothing has shown me this year that Al Horford's going to be up to that task. And that's, that's why I think Boston, what they do better in playoff series, which is why they have advanced um, outside of last season's debacle, why they have advanced further than I think most people have expected, is Brad Stevens is able to game plan and he finds an attack point for an opponent where it's, we're going to go at this guy over and over and over and over again. And if you take him out, then what we're going to do is we're going to find the next guy. And they will bleed those mismatches for everything they can get out of them. And we know that they're going to be, if everybody's there, they're going to be solid defensively because nothing tells us that they're, they, they have always been. So I'm not, I'm not overly worried about that matchup. I think Embiid, yeah, he put maybe he averages 30, 35 points a game for the series. But I don't think they're overly concerned about that. It's how it's really going to get to the other 60 to 70 points that they're going to need to win. That's what Boston's going to be focused on taking away on that end. Does the fact that Boston has spent so much of this year banged up serve as another example of why the team really can't afford to rest guys down the stretch? I mean, from the standpoint of chasing the two-seed, obviously, forget it. But also, there's chemistry, and you brought this up earlier. The key guys have barely been on the floor together this year. Yeah, no, it's 100%. They, they've got to play it out. You you know, seeding reasons, you know, not, not that just yet to get those minutes together. It's also a reason why when anybody, you know, jumps on, you know, you get them in your mention – because I see him just like I see him in mine. Hmm. Why did Danny Age not do anything? Yep. Why did he not go get somebody? There's a part of me that says, I, I understand. Who who did you want him to get? And people got to stop with the Jamal Crawford stuff. There's a reason Jamal Crawford's out of the league and was barely in the league last year. Yep. Like he was, you know, relegated to the end of the Phoenix Suns bench. Like I love Jamal Crawford, but he's just, he's done. You could make a case for Isaiah Thomas. And I, and I can believe in that case because I think he could be a little bit of a scoring punch off the bench. And I think the challenge there is there's just a lot of optics because if he comes in, he's not playing well, and now he's banished to the, you know, to the 11th, 12th, 13th man role, well, that, that could potentially be issues. And then the rest of it was it's cost-controlled players. It's guys with guaranteed money next year, all those things. But I look at it and say a guy like Alec Burks or Glenn Robinson III, if you could have just thrown a pick at that, you know, the Golden State Warriors – and, you know, maybe a Carson Edwards or something as the Warriors are just doing what they can to find any, you know, diamond mining process out there throughout the rest of the season. Maybe that, that works, and that might have been enough of an upgrade where on these nights when one of these main guys is nicked up, you're not going to some unproven rookie or a guy who's a career backup 
in in the game and hoping for the best. Now, yeah, every once in a while you get the semi Ojale performance in Cleveland where it was fantastic, but more often than not, you're getting a whole bunch of zeros and negative games and those kind of things, and that's just a, a, a huge problem. So, yeah, injury, seeding, chemistry-wise, they can't afford to be without anybody. I think, you know, your hope now is get Jalen Brown back, and you're really playing it out, you know, for the next month until you get to that last week of the season. And then maybe at that point, that's where you start to say, all right, let's, you know, we can fit a couple guys here. We're going to take it off because maybe there isn't much to play for. Let's take one quick break today. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season, it's over. Does not mean there are not still opportunities to make some money. NBA futures are still in play. You got the Lakers and Bucks, both plus 350. The Clippers right behind, plus 350. Sixers creeping up a little bit, plus 1,600. Celtics, Rockets, plus 1,200. So a little bit better, obviously, than Philadelphia, which does not surprise me. I think Boston's a better team than Philly, but uh, still a ways to go in order to surprise some people, certainly the odds makers, in order to catch up with the Bucks in the Eastern Conference or, for that matter, probably the Raptors as well, but I don't have those odds in front of me. BetOnline.ag also has odds for NBA MVP, Rookie of the Year. If you're looking to score more on just basketball, there's BetOnline.ag for golf, soccer, hockey, baseball futures. Everything is out. XFL, even an opportunity there. If you don't see a prop bet you really like, Make it up on the spot. BetOnline.ag will give you a line for it. Remember, when you go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% bonus on your next deposit. That's BetOnline.ag, and the promo code is CLNS50. Let's get back to Keith. Well, you know the NBA calendar as well as you know key family birthdays, I'd have to imagine. So at <laughs> uh, you know at, at this point, how much time to, do teams have to get somebody on the buyout market to be able to then use in the playoffs? Yeah, biomarket can now, so this is where the confusion comes in. The March 1st deadline was the deadline a player who is currently on a roster had to be waived by. So that's passed us. Anybody who was already waived, so let's use Isaiah Thomas as the example, he's a free agent. Boston can add that player all the way up to the last day of the regular season. So that's uh, the uh, middle, middle Wednesday, Wednesday the 15th. Of April, that is the last day of the regular season. You can sign a guy there and have him be playoff eligible for you. There's only a couple guys who are waived after the waiver deadline that wouldn't be playoff eligible, and anybody waived now going forward would not be eligible for the playoffs. But you can add somebody, you know, who, who's already cut loose in advance of that March 1st deadline anytime for now. What another call it um, five weeks. So are we safe to say, and I, I believe we are, but I'll get your opinion. Are we safe to say that? Boston's not going to do anything and the roster is what it is or should Boston you know be willing to pursue someone can who can provide a little offense off the bench like an Isaiah Thomas and you know then cut Javante Green or Vincent Poirier even though obviously the latter would mean dead cap money next year yeah barring a major injury I think the Celtics are what they are and I think even if I think what you would be more likely to see than a player brought in from the uh, from free agency is a conversion for a guy like Kermont Waters. Maybe they look at it and say, all right, Javante Green, we like what he's done, but he's not a part of this roster next year. Because that's the other thing that's factoring in here, too. They're going to have three or four first-round draft picks. I hope not, and, but yeah. <laughs> but, but, right, but, yeah, I'm with you, but I think they're going to at this point. It looks like Memphis is, you know, Memphis is either going to need to really fall off and then have a bunch of lottery luck. No, I just, I just meant hopefully there'll be a trade before then. But oh, I, yeah, but I, I know where you're coming well. from. 
but yeah, but so, so, you know, right now, it's funny. There was a time when I would have said, yeah, I'm with you. There's no way they're going to do that. Now I'm kind of like, I don't know. We haven't seen one in a while. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe they will You know, bring all those guys in. But if they do that, you're running out of roster spots really quick because you've got a whole bunch of guys under contract and all these other things. So it's a very long answer to your question of maybe you look at it and say, all right, Javante Green's not going to make this team next year. He's not going to be there. We can convert Tremont Waters. We can lock him up for the next couple of seasons or whatever and bring him in. And that's, I think, the more likely move. Maybe they look at it and say, but if you start looking at who's out there in free agency, it's pretty pretty bare. There's not guys you – I think could look at it and say, all right, that guy would really help. I think Isaiah Thomas could help, but there's also a big story component coming in there. That's mm-hmm. a, you know, that's a fun story. I think we could all get behind rooting for him again, but the challenge comes in is this is the hard part with that is, is Isaiah Thomas going to come into Boston? I know everybody wants to treat me. He says he wants to play. He says he'd come back. Yeah. That's easy to say today from, from the couch, but is he going to come back and have it? It's not going to be what it was before he is a 15 minute a night player now for the Celtics as they're currently constructed or maybe he plays 25 30 minutes on a night when Kemba Walker is out or something like that but he's not going to come in here and play you know 35 to 40 minutes a night be the guy who has the ball in his hands all the time and king of the fourth and all that other stuff that's just not that's not where the Celtics are at that's not where he's at so I think that becomes a challenge if anybody's looking to capture that recapture that past glory you're a little misguided because it's probably not going to go that way. But that's the only type of move I think you see them do unless it's a conversion for somebody else. And that that could happen too because of just the whole roster spot issue as well of, well, let's get Tremont Waters locked up now because otherwise we run the risk of losing him in free agency and all these other things. Celts President of Basketball Operations Danny Ainge has been asked about this topic, bench scoring, a lot lately. Last week said once again, you know, second straight week during this interview on 98.5 The Sports Hub that – he does not believe that's an issue that is facing this team. And let's hear some of Ainge here, and, and fair warning, it's a lengthy answer. Some teams are designed differently. Some teams bring their top scores off the bench. Lou Williams, as an example, and like Mono Ginobili, we talked about the Kevin McHale, John Havlicek. We, there's a bunch of them, and there's guys around the league. But we scored 120 points against Brooklyn. We had plenty of people. You know, we scored 100. And, 10 points, I think, against Houston. It doesn't matter who scores the points, if it's your top five players, your top six players, or, you know, whether you get points from your eight or nine guy. You know, like, I've never been a real big believer that it's offense or it's defense or it's rebounding or it's shot blocking. I really believe that it's more of a mindset and a mentality. Obviously, you need talent. Obviously, you need enough shooting, enough size, and so forth. But I think as much as anything, it's a mindset. I think the last three games, our team has been uh, out-physicaled in the game. I think that we haven't played with the desperation that we've needed. You know, we're trying to bring some guys back and – things like that and you know our team is worn down after an la road or after a uh you know west coast road trip or maybe it's just the dog days of the season right now but um you know we just haven't played like we're capable of playing i don't think it has anything to do with bench scoring or rim protection i think it has a lot more to do with our intensity and our determination and i would just add that i'm not worried about that with this team 
Um, I'm just saying, like that's been the, that's been the case. So, if we're operating Keith under the basis that nothing is going to change roster wise, personnel wise, and you know we both feel that way, and I I got into this a little bit with Bob Ryan, long of the Boston Globe, on last week's show, and you know asked him, all right, so let's in going with what Ainge was saying with you know the the Lou Williams of the world and some of the impactful players coming off the bench providing offense especially in light of what's going on with this team on the floor right now is a shakeup needed does it make sense for Gordon Hayward to come off the bench we've certainly seen that in the past you know should Marcus Smart be starting because he's not an offensive juggernaut and and you try and come up with a little more balance to your lineup in terms of the way those minutes are distributed yeah, there, there's something we said for that. I've even seen some people say it should be Kemba Walker comes off the bench and people go right to the make him our Lou Williams. And I'm like, good Lord, you paid this guy, you know, $130 million. You, you want a $130 million six man? Like that's, you know, not how you build a, a roster. Well, same and story with Hayward. So, yeah, no, absolutely same story with Hayward. Now, I think the, the I, I would not do anything. What I would do is, when Brown is back here, hopefully later this week, go back to your Tatum, Brown, Hayward, Walker, Tice group. See what you got there. Let Smart be kind of that guy who comes in. Because I love Smart's energy off the bench. I think he changes games with that. He comes in with just this, um, you know, fire, and everybody gets going, and he's going to, you know, within the first couple minutes that he's out there, he's going to dive on the floor, or, you know, go up and rip a rebound away from a seven-footer or something like that. And that gets everybody going. Then I think what I would like to see, and we're starting to see it little bits here, more and more and more, is Stevens is relying on guys like Romeo Langford. We saw him make some defensive plays yesterday against the Thunder. We saw him go up and for that big putback back dunk um, that he had in that game. And I'd like to see him, you know, maybe get some of those snippets, work Cantor and then where it goes, and see if you can start to really flesh out your eight, nine-man uh, playoff rotation. I think that's what it's about more than – than doing the changes. Now, I think going into the offseason, you might need to relook at some things and say, all right, what is the right balance for this team? Because what can be hard is to play four guys together who need the ball a lot. We saw that last year. That the, Where I think it works a little bit better for Boston is Walker and Hayward and Tatum as well are pretty good when they're playing off the ball as shooters or cutters and those kind of things. So I think that does make a difference as opposed to guys who really need it to create offense on their own. So, but I, but I think that's probably at this point, you got to stick with what you got and ride it out. Cause you envision the roster being built a certain way and you just, you still, you know, even though it's, we're here now in the middle of March, we haven't seen it, but you still got to try to get to that point. We've still got, like I said earlier, 19 games left. It's it's March 9th as we chat right now. So there's a ways to go, and things can certainly change when it comes to injuries and that sort of thing. But just playing it out. Everybody's healthy. Playoffs begin tomorrow. What is that playoff rotation? You know, in, in no particular order, but your eight, nine guys. And it's the five starters I mentioned. Smart, uh, Grant Williams, we know that those, those are your two, two bench guys for sure. Those are going to be six and seven. I think then your Cantor and Williams, let's call them almost a hybrid, because I think they're both going to play. I think Stevens is going to use that that three-headed monster that they used very well, uh, briefly, although um, earlier this year. And then then it becomes kind of matchup-based. If you're going against the Giannis's, the Ben Simmons, it's probably Semi-Ojale who gets in there and sees some of those minutes. 
Um, and then maybe if not, and you're looking to play smart a little bit more off the ball, that's probably where Brad Wanamaker factors back in there, which I know anybody who's listening to this probably just turned it off and said, I'm done. I hate <laughs> that guy. Um, you know, Wanamaker's taken a lot of uh, grief here. Really? Recently, yes. I think that's probably where you're at. Yeah. You know, and it's tough because it, it's short memory, right? We're only think about what we just saw versus this guy has been actually pretty solid in his role. And when you really look at it, he's, he's a third point guard who's been asked to play backup point guard all year long yeah. because either smart's been needed as the backup wing or, you know, smart starting because Walker is out in that that's, you know, he's been doing having to do a lot more than he probably should. And that's, that's tough. And all those things. And, and just to throw it out there, Shane Larkin's not coming back. Shane Larkin <laughs> makes millions of dollars over in Turkey and is playing an absolute starring role. If you haven't checked it out, check it out because he has been dominant for uh, for their plus he now plays for the Turkish national team. It's not not happening. But I think that's it. I, I think you can reliably count on uh, uh, Grant Williams and Marcus Smart off the bench behind the five starters and then some combo of Cantor and Robert Williams. And then we'll see who else it is. Maybe it's Langford some nights. Maybe it's Ojale. Uh, maybe it's Wanamaker, and that's that's where where you're going to go. I don't think we're going to see much of uh, Vincent Poirier, or um, uh, I think he's at this point now. You're looking at that as that 2.6 million next year. That's all about being valuable and trade matching, and that's about it. I was at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference on Friday. Took in a panel with C's assistant GM Mike Zarin, who of course is year annually and. One of the interesting questions that was posed during this uh, particular seminar, and and Zach Lowe was part of it, and uh, a whole bunch of other people, was really interesting. But one of the interesting questions revolved around how much teams should play guys the last month or so of the season. You know, should you play them more to prepare for a heavier workload in the playoffs, or do you play them less because you want your stars to be as fresh as possible in the spring? Zarin more or less said it it just depends, and it's way more complicated than asking it in such a basic way. And I I also think, just personal opinion, he didn't really want to give anything away either, so he just didn't want to dive into it at all. But what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give probably a kind of similar non-answer. I I do think it depends. I think it depends on where you're at. I think for the Celtics this year, you need to play, because not only for seeding reasons, but you need to really find out, you know, who are my eight, who who are guys – uh, seven, eight, and nine that I can trust in a playoff series. I got to figure that out. Hopefully, the top six are all healthy. I got to find out who seven, eight, and nine are. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you're cruising and there's nothing to be gained for you, yeah, you should be, you know, which is weird to say because nobody's playing very many minutes for that team. Anyway, I think Giannis is still the only guy averaging more than 30 minutes a night. And he's just, just above that. Um, I think you do, you, you say, forget it. Let's just, you know, we're out there to, you're treating it almost like glorified preseason games. Get out there so you don't, so it's enough to keep the rust off, but we're not, we're not pushing for anything. And we know who we are. We know who our team is. So I think it is very situationally based for this year's Celtics. 100%, I think you got to play, and you got to play it out almost all the way to the end. See, we were at that last week of the season. If there's nothing left there, then that's where you can spot some guys some rest days and go from there. A couple other things that are not uh, nearly as relevant as all the other things that we have been discussing. And the first here that I want to get to is the coronavirus situation. You know, if you've uh, tried, fans out there, if you've tried to get Marcus Smart's autograph lately, here's why you have not been able to. I actually kind of stopped it. I uh before they even suggested it, I don't sign as many autographs either uh, because of it. 
you know, it's tough. Obviously, you know, you, you don't want you want to interact with your fans, but unfortunately, you know, the safe risk that, that's involved, but not just us, but for the fans as well, um, you want to try to limit it. So, you know, uh, the fans, hopefully they'll understand um, it's not malicious. It's nothing towards them. It's just to keep everybody safe. Smart talking about not taking pens or jerseys or balls or, you know, anything to autograph just so as to not spread germs. Those doesn't want to touch you, basically. Uh, now the NBA has told teams to prepare for the possibility of playing in empty arenas. No fans, no media, just essential personnel. It's already happened in Europe and on the college level just a little bit. It's going to start to happen a little bit more. Kemba Walker and LeBron James weighed in. That would be terrible. I'd be born in my as well cancel the whole game for that. That would suck. But at the end of the day, I mean, it is getting serious. I don't know. It would be very weird, though. I ain't playing. <laughs> I ain't got the fans in the crowd. That's who I play for. Play for my teammates. Play for I play for the fans. That's what it's all about. So if I show up to an arena and there ain't no fans in there, I ain't playing. They can do what they want to do. I ain't never played the game without no fans. Ever since I started playing ball. You know, you're starting to see, obviously, uh, more and more guys being asked about this. There's the reaction in arenas. I mentioned I was at that game Just last night, Celtics Thunder, one of the more amazing things that I saw in the crowd, Keith, was I was in the balcony section and there was uh, seemingly a family, three people, a dad and two kids, that were all wearing uh, face masks. They had masks on over their mouths. They also had goggles on covering their eyes, which to me was not even the craziest thing about this. The craziest thing was that they weren't wearing any gloves or anything like that. And as they left, because they left early, maybe to duck out and avoid the crowds or just beat traffic or who knows what, but dragging their hands along the railings the whole way down. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would like to think that you're more likely to, uh, you know, catch germs from touching things versus just breathing it in. But what the hell do I know? I'm no medical expert. So that to me was a little bit nutty. But the whole thing here is a little bit nutty that, you know, the the hysteria surrounding this outbreak. And maybe that's me taking it lightly compared to uh, how I should be viewing it. But do you think this is a, a reality that we're going to see that, you know, when push comes to shove, we're going to see some of these games, you know, televised with nobody in the crowd? I think it, there is a pretty good chance that that's where we go. Now, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but I think that it is. It's definitely far more than non-zero. I think we have now seen that all across Europe. A lot of those sporting events have been either postponed, canceled, or are being played in closed venues if they're the, the bigger sports of so soccer and basketball of the world. Uh, we've seen um, they just canceled the, uh, the big tennis tournament yep. in California. Uh, a massive fitness competition was canceled south by southwest completely canceled um their their event there so yeah i think it is interesting as you know i live in orlando mm-hmm. um so the theme park capital of the world and uh you know we're seeing different things here in the, the, the tourist uh, you know destinations where a lot of people are doing that and then it's funny as you said of you know, you, they're the masks and goggles and everything else, and then they're touching everything under the sun. Well, we saw a family who was all, you know, uh, taking every precaution, but the daughter's got the mask up on her forehead, and she's licking on one of the handrails. So, like, <laughs> hey, I, I think you're probably in trouble. Yeah. You know, uh, Rex Chapman retweeted a girl kind of licking up and down a handrail. You know, not only yourself, but you're making that kind of gross for everybody else. But, yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, just putting it back to the NBA, I think there is a strong likelihood where I am getting – this is just a guess, 
but with all the stuff that's been coming out, my guess is at some point this week, locker rooms become closed environments. The NHL has already gone to that. Mm-hmm. I think the NBA will be next, um, which if you've been in any NBA locker room, especially the visiting locker room, it's extremely tight quarters in there, and everybody's you know just on top of each other. So I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see interviews done you know, in the interview rooms, at the podium, those kind of things where you can keep your distance. And I, I would not be surprised at all we get to a point where games are closed events and there are no fans in attendance and you've got a, uh, maybe even a remote broadcast crew, which is more common than I think people you see that in the Olympics a lot. Yeah. In the Olympics, you see it in a lot of the European sports as well, where, you know, the guys are calling the game. Maybe, maybe they're, they're giving you an English language call of the game, but they're nowhere near the country. They're just, you know, picking up the broadcast there. NBA TV has even done it on occasion. Um, where they picked it up and then had their own guys call it from you know from their uh, broadcast center. So so we'll see you know what it looks like. I think I think there's a chance, and I think I get where the players are coming from, saying you know I I you know I'm not gonna play. I translate that into I don't I wouldn't want to play because they're gonna play. I mean if I know what LeBron James just said, but LeBron James is not gonna walk out and say all right Lakers see you later. You know I know we had a chance of winning the title, but but I'm going to you know, sit out for the next 20 games while we play in closed right. arenas. That's not going to happen. Boy, can you imagine you playoff know. games in that environment? My God. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, and that's, it's funny because I even had, you know, somebody asked me, like, do you think teams are going to start thinking about, you know, like, well, maybe home court advantage doesn't matter if we're not playing. And I was like, I don't think anybody's thinking that far ahead. You're lucky if you can get players and coaches to tell you what day of the week it is and who they're <laughs> playing tomorrow. Yeah. Yo, never mind. It'd you know, be true though. Home court advantage would mean absolutely nothing if you have nobody in the stands. Yeah, yeah. The only advantage would be the players are in their own. Yeah, where you get to sleep at night. Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah, but that's it. You know, and then and for some of those guys, they'll tell you that if you're you know, if you're Gordon Hayward with a whole bunch of little kids at home, he might get better rest when he's on the road. Yeah, and another you know, one coming. Daddy's, Daddy's always home. happy. Yeah. Yeah, they said a boy finally. That's yeah. <laughs> Had to keep uh, trying. You know, <laughs> that's it, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, somebody it, had tweeted I, me I, said, I, that guy really needs a hobby. I said, I think he's got one. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's got. Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's uh, take, taking the Philip Rivers approach there. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, but it's uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, they're only one one away from a basketball team. Yeah, right. Maybe that's the goal. Um, you know, but yeah, I do. I I think you know, as sad as it might be, I think that's where we're headed. I think I, there's a big conference call. We're recording this on Monday. There's a big conference call today. It's a very light NBA schedule. And the NBA is doing a conference call with all the team trainers and medical staff to really talk about, all right, here's what we need to do going forward. And I think I think people underestimate, right? I know I can go on a flight from Orlando to Boston or Orlando to you know, Las Vegas or anywhere I go, and I always feel a little bit like crap after I get off the plane. Mm-hmm. These guys live on planes. And and I know they're private planes for the most part, and they're you know so a lot of teams now own their own planes and these things, but it's still it, it's a tough environment, and then you know fan interaction and those kind of things, and then you know and then we see other guys who are they're just blatantly disregarding what they've been told, and they're up in the crowd taking pictures and high fiving everybody under the sun, and you know so it's just you know it's one of those things where I think you know I always go back to the vast majority of these guys are in their early to mid twenties. And when you're in your early to mid twenties, you're invincible, right? I never get sick. I, you know, I can run all day, and you know, I'm fine. And and that's you know maybe the mindset. But I, I do think we're in in the, in the season we change a little bit with the way it looks here, the product um, as far as the presentation part of it uh, going forward, at least probably for the remainder, maybe this regular season. 
All right, last thing we're going to talk about here, and uh, it doesn't really go in a natural order. I would have done it earlier, except I, I deliberately, thinking of you, the listener, and all the Celtics fans that are tired of even hearing the name Kyrie Irving and and the bashing that goes along with that, and oftentimes out of my mouth or on Twitter or wherever else, that's fine. I saved this for the end. We're not doing any more Celtics stuff. This will now be Kyrie for the next couple of minutes. So if you want to turn the show off, turn the show off. That is totally up to you. But the Nets have fired head coach Kenny Atkinson, royally screwed as far as I'm concerned because he was one of the better coaches in the NBA last year. Total chemistry shift with the turnover over the course of the offseason and the moves they had to make in order to bring in that three-headed monster of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan. Irving, of course, as we know, only played 20 games this year and then shut down surgery. Durant has not played all year, but he has kind of lurked in the background. And then DeAndre Jordan has played but not well. And here is what Jordan said in uh, strongly disputing the notion that Irving and Durant influenced the decision for Atkinson to go. Yeah, I'm close to Kyrie, but, you know, Wilson's a new player. Garrett, Garrett Temple's a new player. You know, we're all new players. So if you go say new players, put it on all eight of the new players. I think whatever you're saying and whatever the reports are, so. Okay, I think all of that is BS. <laughs> it's, I, I just, I, I, you know, I know there's some reporting that has started to come out of this, and we don't know the exact story just yet. And maybe Kenny Atkinson is breathing a giant sigh of relief that, uh, you know, that he is no longer there having to deal with this future headache, a team that I have said since this roster was constructed that I don't believe it's going to work out to the degree that other people want it to or, or would like to say it will next year when fully healthy, if even fully healthy. Let's say Irving and Durant make it through the year next year. I still don't think that's a championship team. I don't think it's a team that's even going to the finals, and I'm skeptical they're going to go to the conference finals. I think it will be a massive underachievement there in Brooklyn for years to come. I think that I understand why they made the move they did. You bring in stars. It's a star-driven league. I think they're going to look back on, on this little era and say, hey, we had to go for it, but it screwed up. Kind of in the same way that Danny Ainge probably looks at bringing Kyrie into Boston. We had to go for it, but it didn't go well. I think that's how it's going to be viewed there in Brooklyn. But this decision to move on from Atkinson, how did you view this thing? Yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely ridiculous. I think it doesn't make any sense at all. I think as you looked at this, Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks, and I witnessed it firsthand seeing them together multiple different times, whether that be down here in Orlando or out in Las Vegas, as they were coming together, those two were in as lockstep as any coach and GM were in the league. And they rebuilt that team literally from nothing. They didn't have draft picks. They didn't have good, talented players. They plucked guys off the scrap heap like Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Atkinson and staff coached those guys up, got the best basketball out of those guys. Just all around, the Nets built into a point where they became, for me, as someone who covers the Celtics, the Nets were the team I think I watched next most because of the fact that Boston had all their draft picks. They were so linked for so many years that it became – Hey, I, I really found myself becoming a fan of what that next team was building. Cause you could see it. You could see that, you know, incremental improvement night to night. And wow, this team's getting better. And boy, boy this guy's really, you know, stepping up. And I think this team might, you know, have a chance to become something and, and all those things. And for them to just throw that away. Now, Steve Jones was the first guy I saw who said this. He, and he's worked for a handful of NBA teams as a coach and uh, in the video uh, team as well for, for a handful of different teams. He said, "You in the NBA, you build up your culture to the point where you can finally sell it off to go get stars. 
that's just how it works. You said it. We saw the Celtics do it. They built up their culture of we're scrappy, we're hardworking and all this stuff, and now we're bringing in Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, and we're going and getting stars, and we're going to chase after a championship. Because culture is great, but stars win titles. That said, I'm with you. I don't think this Nets team ever is a meaningful contender there. You made such a banking um, with this group on Kyrie is going to get and stay healthy. Hasn't happened. Hasn't really happened throughout the duration of his career, other than a couple of years in Cleveland. And that Kevin Durant, at you know, on the wrong side of 30, is going to come back from an injury that has not is that it's either wrecked or drastically changed careers for everybody who's torn in Achilles in the NBA. The only guy who is just as good before and after was Elton Brand, and Elton Brand couldn't jump over a phone book. <laughs> so, you know, so that was, you know, a case of his game didn't really change, and he was, you know, pretty early on he tore it and then was, was good. Everybody else drastically impacted and has really struggled. So for me, that was already a gamble. Now you're going to do it with a brand-new coach, who's got to come in and basically start all over again. Because that team, it was never about this year for Brooklyn. I've been saying that for months and months and months. It was about this year is just a transition year. Hopefully we're good enough to still make the playoffs. They're going to be. A lot of that's more the rest of the East isn't very good. But they're still going to get in the playoffs. They're going to be go in there. Maybe you know we can be competitive and make some noise, and then we figure out everything in next year is the big year. But now you have to start over again with – with a new coach, you're going to have to reintegrate Irving and Durant. They obviously have some feelings on who should and shouldn't be on the roster and pieces like that. And I think that's where, as you look at this, if you're the Nets, it's, I think you're looking at next year and, and everyone will write it off as well. It's not, it's 2020-21 is not really about, you know, we're just getting those guys healthy and back. It's really about 21-22. And now those guys are in the last guaranteed year of their contracts. And by that point, Ah, this isn't really working. Do I want to be here? I want to be somewhere else. And this could all fall apart and go south very, very quickly on them. Well, and here's the bottom line, Keith. You know, the whole two sides to every coin. Like, let's say DeAndre Jordan is is truthful in saying that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant did not influence the decision to get rid of Kenny Atkinson. Fine. But with that truth is another truth automatically. Because, again, star-driven league. If Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant did want Kenny Atkinson to be that head coach— he'd still be there. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. And I think DeAndre Jordan, what he's doing there, that's actually one of the few signs this year that he, not him, but someone on that team is stepping up and being a really great teammate. Because what he's doing is Kyrie and KD aren't there to talk. They're yep. they're now off rehabbing. We're not going to see them probably give any kind of you know meaningful interviews until maybe next fall right. at the start of training camp. Well, maybe over the summer. If maybe Durant will stuff, say something over the summer. Yeah, or Durant will go at some 15-year-old on Twitter, and that'll become a story. <laughs> yeah. But it is, you know, it is um, – that's DeAndre Jordan basically saying, all right, these guys aren't here to talk for themselves, so I, I got their back. I'll be the one who steps up and says, hey, they're not doing doing anything uh, different. You know, so I think it is going to be um, – I think it's going to be really, uh, you know, um, uh, it's just going to be now the questions are going to be the rest of this year are – you're basically the rest of this year going into whatever their playoff you know, length is. It's probably going to be a short duration. It's going to be more about what about next year? Who's going to be the coach? Who's going to be the coach? And you've got a handful of guys on that team that are like, hey, we're, we're still trying to win games and be a playoff team here. Mm-hmm. And no one really cares because 
fair or unfair, no one believes in this this roster going very far. So it's just it, it's it's now you've turned the remainder of this season. It's a throwaway. It's a mess. I think if I think if you saw this Nets team, if they were only a game or two up in the playoffs, you could almost see them turn it the other way and just say, forget it, let's go. You know, let's let's go the other way, and we'll let somebody pass us. We'll get a better draft pick, and all these things. And and it, it's just t- it's tough to watch. You know, built there. And what's funny is what I came to realize yesterday. Yet again, a hundredth millionth time we've been taught this lesson. Fans root for laundry mm-hmm. because the amount of fans who at the beginning of the season would have yelled at you if you said. Yeah, Kenny Atkinson's probably going to get fired at some point this year. You would have been called every you know nasty name in the book. Yeah. Now, yeah, it was time to go. He, he's you know <laughs> it wasn't working. He's got to go. You know and do and it's like what, what are we doing here? Like this guy was you know you're kind of you know one and one a of fixing your franchise, and now it's you know send him home. <laughs> but yeah, but Kenny Atkinson, the good news is he's going to be fine. You know, and good for him because now he's got a head start on any opening in the league. He's going to be probably candidate, you know, 1-1-A for just about every team out there. Keith Smith, always appreciate the insights, pal. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. As always, great stuff from Keith. A lot of stuff to think about, certainly well beyond the Kyrie junk. I mean, this coronavirus, is it's remarkable the impact this could have on the league going forward. And, and just I'm talking about this in purely sports and business, not all of the obvious health concerns that revolve around with it and and you know to tune into your local news stations or national news stations for commentary on that this we're fixated on sports and the idea of playoff basketball and empty arenas and watching those on television with remote broadcasters and satellite locations it's i mean it's fascinating not something i'm rooting for but the possible inevitability of it as keith talked about really interesting would not be the same experience there, absolutely, in the postseason for Celtics fans who are so used to flooding the garden and, and putting a real impact in these games and how well Boston fans travel, too. But that'll about do it for time. We've gone for about an hour. So uh, leave your thoughts. You can get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. As always, appreciate you following along here with this show. Brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. It's going to be a tricky Stretch here a few games this week, beginning tomorrow night in Indiana. You know, heading home, Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward. And then, of course, on Thursday in Milwaukee. But maybe, just maybe, the Seas catch a break if Giannis Antetokounmpo does not play in that one. He's dealing with a left knee sprain. Thanks to Keith, to Evan Valenti, my producer, Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media. Of course, thanks to you. Find us on iTunes. Just search Celtics or Celtics Beat. We'll pop right up. Always appreciate it when you leave us a review or a rating or both if you're feeling generous. And uh, as I said, on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman, we got a whole lot to talk about here in the fourth quarter of the NBA's regular season. Gino, get us out of here.